You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this morning, we have a reading that will cover also our text from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And what follows will have more of our attention this morning. As the Apostle Paul goes on, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor to me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Our text this morning is Philippians 1, verse 21, but in order to get a a sense of the context, and because we will really be dealing with the verses 18b through 26 this morning, Let's read that through together, and I'd invite you to leave your Bibles open there, as I'll be referring to the passage quite often throughout the sermon. The Apostle Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor to me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow 
on account of me. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Those are the well-known and much-loved, much-cherished words of the Apostle Paul. Words of confession from his lips. Words of confession, really, from his heart. They sit alongside several others of Paul's statement, like in Galatians 2, verse 20, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives with me, in me. It sits alongside this confession as words that encapsulate what life is all about for the Apostle. And that is that it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And for many Christians as well, for all of us, this is a a fundamental motto of our Christian life. The understanding that living is best when Christ is living through you. That life is truly life when Christ lives in you. That dying is gain because then you get to be with the Lord. These are powerful words. They're ones that we ought to repeat to ourselves over and over, and which we ought to impress on our memories and on our hearts. But I ask you this morning, can you? Can you take these words on your lips? Can you say with Paul that for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain? Is your life Christ? Is that what it's characterized by? Is it, is it lived for Christ? Is it traveled with Christ the Lord? Is it taken over by Jesus Christ, your Master? And do you think that it's gained? Do you think that it's better by far to die? I'd invite you to think about that this morning. I ask you the question this morning because it's the question that I had to face and that anyone has to face as they're faced with this text. I'd ask myself the question this past week and we all have to be honest with ourselves. Realizing that this statement profoundly describes the Christian life, you have to ask yourself, is it true for you? Are these words that you can take on your lips? If this is the motto for the Christian, if this is the Christ life, then this is what we all must be able to confess. So let's go on a journey with the Apostle Paul this morning. Let's go on a journey through this text, especially from verses 18b to verse 26. And I say journey because that is exactly what the Apostle Paul brings us on, and he, what he brought the Philippians on as he wrote these words to them in this letter. Notice that in the verses 18 through 21, and and really you could say to 22, the Apostle Paul is ambiguous about what's going to happen to him in prison. He doesn't seem to know whether he's going to live or die, and that's captured in the words at the end of verse 20, whether by life or by death, he knows that Christ will be exalted in his body. But yet in the verses after 23... His tone changes and and suddenly he becomes confident that this trial will not result in death, but that he will go on living and that he will be with the Philippians again. 
which he says is more necessary. The Apostle Paul leads the Philippians on this journey of discovery, and he does it in order to focus on verse 21 and on the words there. He does it to impress it upon them all the more, that they too might understand that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And how can we say it better than that? That's our theme this morning. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And we'll consider the basis for this confession, and also we'll see how do we live out this confession. So what is the basis for this confession of the Apostle Paul, and how do we live out his confession? So the basis. The question is, how can you arrive at this confession of the Apostle Paul? How does the Apostle Paul arrive at there, there as he brings the Philippians on that journey? He seems to hold out that this is the motto for his life and really for the life of any Christian. The motto of a life that's lived for Christ. That's the journey that Paul takes us on in the first few verses of, of our text. And that's what we must be careful to understand for ourselves. How can I make this my confession? Is it true? For you. The basis of Paul's confession really can be seen in the comparison that he gives us in verse 20. After saying that he knows that this present trial, being in, in prison in Rome, will turn out one way or another for his salvation, he makes the comparison in verse 20 between being ashamed, I expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed and exalting Christ in his body. That's the comparison that's made. So let's unpack that a little bit to get to the heart of the matter for Paul. And so first we have to ask, well, what is it that causes shame for human beings? What is shame? Well, shame is probably best described as that that feeling that you get when you haven't lived up to expectations. A feeling of of dishonor that you feel when you haven't lived up to expectations. And those expectations can be connected to your performance. Uh, Think of an A student, a student who always gets straight A's, and suddenly they get a C on their report card. They might feel shame. Or it can be related to appearance, to to what others think about you. The the businessman who, who prides himself on his honesty but then gets found out for having cheated on his taxes. You feel shame when you bring dishonor upon yourself. And that is because of your expectations. Or, it's also possible, but less often the case, you can feel shame when you bring dishonor on someone else. Perhaps the student feels like he's actually let his parents down. Or perhaps the business person feels like she has let her employees down or her peers. So what is shame for Paul? Well, Paul would feel shame not if if, uh, for his own expectations, not about his own performance or his own appearance, but he would feel shame if he knew that he let down his Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that Paul, at the very beginning of this letter, he defined himself as a servant, or even better, a slave of Jesus Christ. He does all things for Jesus Christ, or at least he desires to do that. Paul would be ashamed if he failed to exalt Christ while in prison. 
That's why he says that he hopes to have sufficient courage so that he'll in no way shy away from the challenge that's before him or, or be overwhelmed by the, by what's in front of him as he's in prison, but that he might be able to exalt Christ in it. That's his highest goal. And if Christ were to be ashamed because of him, the Apostle Paul is saying, he too would be ashamed. For Paul, being ashamed is the opposite of exalting Christ. He'd be ashamed if Christ were brought low, but he expects and hopes that Christ will not be brought low, but will actually be glorified through his imprisonment and through the trial that he's facing now as he sits in prison in Rome, through his suffering and ultimately through whatever happens to him, whether by life, he says, or by death. What causes shame for us? If you're performance-driven, if you find your confidence in performance, if you, you set a high level for yourself and you feel you must achieve that, then you'll feel shame when you don't succeed. When you fall short of yours or others' expectations for yourself. If you're appearance-driven, then then you'll feel shame when others see through the veneer. They see through the facade that you put up, that that you put around you. And you'll feel shame because they'll find out that things actually aren't so great as this person likes to make everyone believe. But when you find your confidence not in yourself, in your performance or in your appearance, but in Jesus Christ alone, then you know that Christ will be exalted. He is the Lord of of all. He will be exalted. And you will never be ashamed. Why would you? How can you be ashamed of Jesus Christ, the King, the Savior, the Messiah? He will never be ashamed. So you will never be either. What counts is not performance or appearance. What counts is no one else's judgment. There's no shame in a life that's lived for Christ's glory. Paul's confidence is grounded in the assurance that Christ will be exalted. That's why he can say, I will in no way be ashamed. That's what he strives for and he's sure that it will happen. Even as Paul mentions Christ when he says that Christ will be exalted, notice that he he puts himself in the background. He doesn't say, I won't be ashamed because of this. I will exalt Christ. No, he says, I won't be ashamed. And then he leaves himself out. Christ will be exalted. He doesn't mention Paul. I expect and hope, he says, that there will be more Christ and less of me. In his weakness, he knows, Jesus Christ will be shown to be more powerful. He's not performance or appearance-driven. He's cross-driven. He's Christ-driven. So the basis of Paul's confidence, the basis of that statement that to live is Christ and to die is gain, is Paul's confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows that no matter what, Christ will be exalted, will be magnified, will be lifted up. And this gets further emphasized when he says, in my body. Now that refers to, in one way, refers to his whole self. In all he does and is, Christ will be exalted. 
because he is in this trial. But Paul is, is saying that in a way that sort of points toward his own weakness, his body. Is it not true that often your body is, is what is holding you back in your service of Jesus Christ? Your body is what gets tired, gets worn down, gets struck by illness. But Paul knows that Christ will be exalted in his life, even and especially in his body. If you think that Christ is exalted by your own performance, by what you do, or by your appearance, by what others think about you, then you're being misled. Christ is not exalted in that way. Christ is exalted in weakness. He's exalted in dependence upon Him. He's glorified in service and in humility. The moment, remember, of Christ's greatest glory was His moment of greatest suffering and humiliation as He hung on the cross. So Christ is exalted in our weakness. And we exalt Him when we look to Him alone for salvation. When we find our confidence in Him. If we go back now to verse 19 in our text, then we see how that verse supports the fact that Paul's confession is is grounded in his confidence in Christ. Paul says that he knows that in verse 19, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That word there for deliverance is, would, could also be translated as salvation. It's the word that throughout the New Testament is used for salvation. For that being brought over from death to life by the work of Jesus Christ. So Paul is confident because he knows, because he's confident in Christ. And he knows that Christ is the Savior and he's doing his saving work in and through Paul, even in his imprisonment. He's focused not on what's going to happen in prison, but what will happen eternally. And what helps Paul in that salvation? Well, it's the prayers of the people. And again, Paul shows that he's confident in Christ here. Jesus Christ is supplying the courage that Paul needs through the prayers of the people. Jesus Christ is the great intercessor who always lives to bring the needs of God's people before the throne of the Father in heaven. Do you know that your prayers bring salvation to those that you pray for? Do you know that your prayers give courage in times of weakness? Do you know that your prayers help others to find their confidence in Jesus Christ? They do. They do. Paul's confidence is in Jesus Christ because he is the one who hears the prayers of God's people. And it's also in Christ because he sees the Spirit of Christ helping him in this trial. The Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit does. He comes to Paul and he provides the strength and the confidence and the courage that he needs as he sits in prison. And where is this courage found? Well, it's found in the one to whom the Spirit of Christ always points. And that's to Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God in heaven. So Paul finds his confidence for life 
and for death in Jesus Christ. He realizes that his life is not in his own hands, it's in Christ. And his goal is not his own advancement, but it is the advancement of Jesus Christ for him to live is Christ. When our confidence is in Jesus Christ, in his work for us and also through us, then we can say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The smaller we are and the greater Jesus is, the more Paul's confession rings true in our lives. If you struggle to take this confession on your lips that to live is Christ and to die is gain, do not look at yourself. Do not look at your performance, how you're achieving your goals, even if they're spiritual. Don't look to your appearance, but look to Jesus Christ and find your confidence in Him. Paul found his confidence in Jesus Christ. And then he shows us in the second half of our text what it is to live out this confession, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 21, really, the the focus of our text this morning, is, is like a hinge for this passage, upon which the passage turns. For in the verses that follow verse 21, we move from the basis of Paul's confession to what it looks like to live out that confession. And the first thing that we need to see, of course, is what it means for death. What Paul says in verse 23 is is really quite striking. He says, I desire to, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. The original puts that, that better by far part in, in three words that show that, the, that something is greater, that something is better. You could translate it literally that it's much greater better to die. To be with Christ is better by far. Think about that. Do you believe that that's true? I desire to, de- to die. That's better by far. How can the Apostle Paul really say that? How can he really say that? Can you imagine Paul counseling an elderly person? Or someone who is in the hospital, facing hard times? You desire to die? Good. That's better by far. What is the Apostle Paul saying here? Well, he's speaking the truth. To die is to be with Christ. And that is the highest honor and privilege and blessing that anyone can aspire to on this earth. To be with Christ, to to share His presence, to see His body, to speak with Him. Can you imagine? If your desire is to be with Christ, if to live is Christ then death is better by far. If to live is Christ, then to die is gain. Do you desire to depart and to be with Christ? For some people, this is probably a a horrible proposition. No, I don't desire that, to die. I've got too much on the go, 
I would be letting down my wife and my children, my boss and my employees. There are a lot of people counting on me. I've got plans. But for the Apostle Paul, there's nothing holding him back in a way. Death, the opportunity to go and to be with Christ, is better by far. Because he lives his life for Christ. His is the Christ-filled life, and he wants Christ to fill him more. His desire in every way in this life is Christ. And so to be with him is better. As I said at the beginning, this confession of Paul's is one that we all need to, to take on our lips. You look at this text and you realize that there's profound power and strength in it. Almost too profound. Do I really believe that to die is gain? This is, as I said, what I had to struggle with this past week, in which I did struggle with this past week, until Thursday morning, when the Lord took home to himself one of his children, our brother Ray Coot. Ray was someone who was not perfect, but he wanted to live for Christ. If you live for Christ, if you confess as our brother did in his last days, that your confidence is in Christ, then to die is gain. Death has been Ray's biggest gain. Because he's now with his Lord. He's with Christ. What could be better? For our brother, nothing. And that is why the Lord took him home to be with him. What could be better? Well, there is something better in a way. It is much greater better to depart and to be with Christ, but it's more necessary, Paul says, to do the will of Christ. Says Paul, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You see, we need to make sure that we understand the Apostle Paul properly at this point, or else we're going to become very confused. And we won't understand what he's saying here properly. You see, it's not at all uncommon to find someone, especially a Christian, especially perhaps an older Christian, who looks forward to the prospect of death. But it's far less common to find someone who has a, who looks forward to death, but still has a desire and a focus on this life as well. The focus that Paul has. How can these two things come together for the Apostle? How is it possible to see and know your purpose in life and yet confess that it's better to die? Well, the answer comes back to the now worn-out drum that we've been beating. The answer is because to live is Christ. The only way to live completely in the body, to be full of purpose in life, and to have no fear in death, is to the desire that Christ be exalted in everything. That's what Paul says in verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, 
this will mean fruitful labor for me. To continue living is a prospect of joy and necessity because to live is Christ. That is, Christ still has a purpose for Paul. Paul is still a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ put on this earth to serve him in whatever way he can. That's the fruitful labor that he's talking about. To go on living is to produce fruits for Jesus Christ. Well, what is that fruit? It is the joy and progress of the faith. You can see that in verse 24, 25. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Really, this in our text, it stands equal to Christ. Notice, beginning in verse 21 as we go through, Paul says that to live is Christ. And then he says that to live is fruitful labor. And then he says later in verse 25, that continue to continue with all of you is for your joy and progress of faith. Notice how all those are parallel. The Christ life that Paul is committed to living is one that is for the joy and progress of faith of others. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's Paul's calling as he ministers to the people of Philippi and to everyone that he ministers to, to bring them joy and to bring them progress in their life of faith in Jesus Christ. That was the calling of Paul. And that is the calling of every preacher of the gospel since Paul. Our calling is not to to slam you for your sins. To make you feel bad. To make you feel as if that's all you see. Nor is it to, to fill you with good information so that you can pass the test at the end of the day. Our calling is to help you to find joy in Christ. It is, it's true, to identify what sins are killing joy in your life. But then it's to point you to the power of Jesus Christ to forgive them and to help you to overcome them. Our calling is to help you to progress in your faith so that you learn more and more to trust in Jesus Christ alone and not to trust in anyone else. That is, at bottom, my purpose among you. That's the calling of every preacher of the gospel. And it's also the calling of every Christian whose life is Christ and for whom death is gain. It's the most basic calling of every believer, even if you can do nothing else. What is your purpose? It is the joy and progress of others in the faith. It can happen to you as you get older or if you've been severely disabled that you feel that you have no more purpose. What purpose do I have? I cannot do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ anymore. Well, you always have a purpose. As long as the Lord Jesus gives you life, And that is to help others to find joy in Christ and to progress in faith. 
It's the most basic calling of every Christian. It's also the highest calling of every Christian. You can't say, oh yes, finding joy and progress, that's for others who have nothing better to do. I'm too busy serving Christ in my job to do that. I can't focus on everyone else's joy all the time. i got things to do. No. That's not at all the case. Your highest purpose in all that you do is the joy and progress of others in the faith. Your focus is outward. It's in love. And it's in service of Jesus Christ in all that you do. What could be better than helping someone else to come closer to Jesus Christ? To rejoice in her salvation. To grow in their relationship with Him. What could be better than to help someone else to take this confession of the Apostle Paul on their lips so that they can say that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say it with the Apostle Paul? Is it the motto of your life? Well, you must. And you can. Look to Jesus Christ for your confidence. And live it out every day in service to Him. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.